1: Welcome to the Connecting with Coincidence radio show with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, bringing together the world's synchronicity experts to help you use meaningful coincidences to develop spiritually, psychologically, and practically. For more information, put Connecting with Coincidence into your web browser to find the book, website, Psychology Today blog, YouTube channel, and Facebook page. And now, here is the host of the Connecting with Coincidence radio show, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD.
2: Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. Yes, I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, and I am a psychiatrist. Carl Jung introduced the Western world to synchronicity. The rock band The Police popularized the idea in their album Synchronicity, and they were followed by numerous books, articles, movies, and videos. But why this growing interest? Weird coincidences are messages to us earthlings about the true nature of reality, messages we can try to decode. They tell us that our minds are interconnected and are part of a greater mind that I call the psychosphere, that each of us has powers and abilities waiting to be linked with one another to create more beautiful and loving lives for each and all of us. But, but wait, don't believe me just because I say so. Look at the meaningful coincidences happening in your life on your own, Find their helpful advice. Direct experience is the key. Their evidence for deep connections with those you love and others. Listen to the synchronicity experts who graciously come to speak with me. Look at my Psychology Today blog and my book, Connecting with Coincidence. Look at my website to see how sensitive to coincidences you are. Take the weird coincidence survey. Learn to decode your synchronicity messages by accessing your own deep wisdom, and let coincidences help you discover your own latent abilities, synchronicity spoken here. Our guests today are Eben Alexander and Karen Newell. Eben Alexander, a physician and teacher at Harvard Medical School and elsewhere, a renowned neurosurgeon. Neurosurgeon neurosurgeon, thought he knew how the brain worked, how the mind worked, and how consciousness worked. A transcendental near-death experience during a week-long coma from an inexplicable brain infection changed all of that completely. Since his 2008 NDE, he has been reconciling his rich spiritual experience with the contemporary physics and cosmology. His conclusion, we are conscious in spite of our brain. Dr. Alexander has been a guest on the Dr. Oz, Oprah, and many other media programs. His most recent book, co-authored with Karen Newell, is Living in a Mindful Universe. His earlier books, Proof of Heaven and The Map of Heaven, have collectively spent more than two years on top of the New York Times and international bestseller lists. Karen Newell co-founder of Sacred Acoustics, is an innovator in the emerging field of brainwave entrainment, audio, meditation. She empowers others in their journeys of self-discovery using sacred acoustic recordings. She teaches how to connect to inner guidance, achieve inspiration, improve wellness, and develop intuition. In her search for answers to fundamental questions, it became clear to her that direct experience is crucial to full understanding, direct experience. She developed expertise in living through daily connection with the universal consciousness, using heart awareness as a central element. And At international workshops, Karen demonstrates key practices of consciousness exploration, which include heart awareness, intention, maintaining neutrality, emotional management, and cultivating internal knowing. Welcome to the show, Karen and Eben. It's a pleasure to have you with me. Well, Bernie, thanks so much for having us. It's great to be here.
3: Yes, thank you.
2: <laughs> yes, it's, it's great to be doing this again. <laughs> yeah. So you sent me a, a coincidence um, yesterday uh, around 3 p.m., uh, and uh, please, it's, t- please tell us about that that emerging from the attic coincidence of yours. Okay, well, this, uh, this is
4: just one uh, synchronicity that happened to me years ago, but it absolutely stunned me into recognizing that there's something bigger going on here. Uh, it turns out that uh, I was uh, clearing out my attic on a weekend day off. It was in late spring. It was a beautiful uh, kind of sunny day, but mainly partly cloudy with a lot of big, uh, fluffy, cumulus clouds in the sky. Anyway, I was upstairs uh, in the attic clearing things, and all of a sudden this thought entered my mind that I had to find this model I had of a B-2 bomber. It was a a large radio-controlled uh, a B-2 that had a 48-inch wingspan that I had built to to play with my uh, sons with, uh, and I had not seen it in about two years. And why that thought entered my mind at that moment You know, I really don't know. But the thought was very strong. Oh, we've got to find this bomber. I was looking around the attic at various places I thought it would be. And then I thought, no, no, maybe it's down the garage. I ran downstairs uh, out to our garage. This is when we were living in uh, Needham, Massachusetts. Uh, Looked around the garage, quickly did not see the bomber anywhere. uh, And then just kind of scratching my head, I ran out the garage door into our driveway. And on a whim, I just looked up at the sky. And I saw something in the sky that I've never seen before or since in the sky. And that was a B-2 bomber. It was actually very low. It was probably no more than 3,000 feet up. uh, And it was in a banking turn between clouds. uh, And I was absolutely shocked to be looking up and seeing, you know, the real thing of that model that I'd been so intensely looking for for the last 10 minutes. Uh, And it was just an absolute shocker to me. Uh, Of course, my interest was greatly piqued, and uh, the next day in reading the Boston Globe, I did come to realize that that bomber had been there to do a flyover at Fenway Ballpark for a Red Sox baseball game. So that explained why the bomber was there, but the timing of it, especially with my awareness of the model and looking for it, and the intensity, and then running out the driveway and looking up and seeing that, in the one little instant it was between clouds— but it was absolutely, without fail, a B-2 bomber. I knew that uh, completely. And uh, so anyway, that was a coincidence or synchronicity that has always uh, kind of uh, stricken me because it, it tells me there's much more to this universe than I would have thought in terms of causality.
2: When I, he- when I hear the story, uh, it starts with your having the impulse to go look for the B-2 in your attic. And it becomes, a, in side terms, a precognitive experience without knowing without knowing it. You were following the impulse. So somehow you picked up that that B-2 bomber was in the area. And then somehow you also timed it right. So the bomber came out of the clouds and there you were being able to see it. So we're we're talking about capacities that you had even at that time before your NDE that all of us have and that uh, our listeners have also to be able to notice these things and we'll get to what they mean but when i when i read your um your email from from uh, about what this coincidence that you just described yesterday um i had ch- i got chills myself because uh while you may have thought of this or the email came to me around 3 p.m yesterday uh about 11:30 yesterday i was reading a book uh, called synchronicity as a mystical experience and early on in the book, um, there was a statement uh, like that went something like this. In s- the spring of 2001, which was the same time, the same spring as you remember that you saw the B-2 bomber, right. probably was the spring of 2001. We don't know for sure. Uh-huh. Frank, Frank Joseph, the author, said, I was writing about B-17 and B-24 bomber planes of the United States Army Air Force in World War II, the same vintage that you're talking about. Uh, He took a break from his work writing about these planes and went outside just as you did and looked up in the sky and heard the droning of an unusual aircraft engine. And there he looked up was another, was a flying fortress, a B 17 flying at low altitude just as yours did. And I got chills because. We had this, a similar recollection. I was seeing Frank Josephs, and you were talking. You were re-experiencing yours. So, what do you think that meant, Evan? What uh, What do you think was going on there, with with well, you and me? Well,
4: I I like to look at all of this as a kind of a way of looking at the ordering principles in the universe, and the uh, you know the neurosurgeon materialist uh, scientist in me before coma. Uh, didn't pay attention to synchronicities because I thought there's no way they can actually work. They're just unusual quirks of, of circumstance. But, of course, since my coma, I've come to see that I need to pay big attention to that because I have a, a much a grander mindset about space, time, mass, energy, causality, uh, and trying to understand the nature of reality than I ever did before. And I've come to realize that this is very much of uh, that we're all dreaming the dream of the one mind. This is all a, kind of a shared experience, even though we have this sense of self and the, the, this sense of being in a here and a now. Uh, but I would say that uh, a lot of that sense of locality and sense of existing as a human self... Uh, is really kind of an illusion. It's a it's a fiction that's set up to allow this drama to unfold. And the drama unfolds through the interaction of sentient beings trying to make sense of their lives. And that includes especially drivers such as synchronicity. So for me, I see the one mind of the universe uh, trying to help us come to a deeper understanding, knowing that we were going to have this conversation, uh, and therefore... You know, putting this out there as a concept to help us
2: all learn in this process. Very, very good. Uh, we're coming to the end of this segment. You are, we are listening to Connecting with Coincidence with your host, Bernie Beitman, MD, on the X Zone Broadcast Network. And our guests are Evan Alexander and Karen Newell. Welcome back to CC with BB and our guests are Evan and Karen. And we have gone through a coincidence involving not only Evan and um, a B-2 bomber, but also a coincidence involving my reading about uh, flying fortresses of the B group. Around the same time that Evan and Karen thought of sending me this uh, coincidence, And we're talking about this as evidence of our interconnectedness, that our minds are really not as separate as we think. And the way I think about these things is that uh, we create tunnels between our minds, uh, that, that part of the fabric of our universe is that we look like we're all connected. But this is evidence that we are connected. And I like to look at the ways that connection takes place, kind of a tunnel between minds, that emotion drives those connections. Uh, Just as I was choking uncontrollably over a sink in San Francisco uh, while my father was dying of choking, in his, choking on his own blood 3,000 miles away. That was a tunnel connecting him with me, me with him. We probably were always connected, but that high emotion made it more obvious. And this is a similar variant on the theme that shows us our interconnection probably through intense emotion with each other.
4: Well, I think that's a very good point is the <clears throat> emotions are really what give us skin in the game. Uh, and it's that that kind of connection with others the loving connections and um that that have everything to do uh with a deeper understanding of this one mind and of that entanglement between minds uh and i think that this kind of synchronicity uh not only you know my explanation of the synchronicity that occurred for me in spring of of uh 2001 but also it's uh uh, it's retelling in the now moment of, you know, set up with your synchronicity. Uh, these things build on each other, and they're, they're just a beautiful example of how when we open our minds to this much greater degree of connectedness, of of all these mental experiences, it gives us a much richer view of our role as human beings, and I believe also as to our potential for influence uh, in the evolving reality by showing this uh, that the universe really is all mental and that we connect to it uh, as mental beings, but it's not a connection through kind of material realms and the perceived
2: limitations of space and time. The, the, there's two things um, I heard in what you're saying. One is that we can influence what happens, and that's through our intention and probably our emotions. But also, the the this universal mind is trying to teach us something. And uh, as Karen has mentioned um, before, that that without having our our radio show have to be rescheduled twice. Um, we would not have had this coincidence to be talking about in these uh, at this time, the coincidence not only about yours, but the coincidence be- between us. And it's, there's something about the energy of doing this show that generates sometimes coincidence. And anyway, we, we have been trying to connect with each other and have not been able to. And here was a way that we were reaching out towards each other that we— could identify as something that showed us at least temporarily that we were connected. And that evidence for our listeners is some is evidence that they should be looking for in their own lives.
4: Right. I think that that's a very good point. And in fact, to me, it kind of brings up another thing I've noticed ever since my coma. And that is really there are no accidents. All this stuff happens for a purpose. And so in looking back, even though we were a bit frustrated by the challenges of trying to get this interview with you and had to reschedule it twice, I can't help but think uh, but that uh, the universe and kind of that, that one mind was setting up for a better uh, and better adventure in the show for your listeners by allowing us to come up with these other synchronicities and then allowing us to connect them Uh, as we've described, uh, you know, in the first part of the show, what's happened over the last 24 hours with our communications. So I always look at it as uh, kind of the one mind trying to help us uh, learn and teach as best we can to better define our relationship
2: with the nature of the universe. Karen, uh, what are your comments on all this?
3: Well, I love your term, the the tunnel, the tunnel of connection, that temporary tunnel, because we were thinking about you. We were thinking about the show. And I knew from our uh, communication that you enjoyed planning the shows. And so it's no wonder we were all thinking about it the day before. But the fascination of of that synchronicity with the bombers is just still kind of leaving me dumbstruck. Um, you know, I, I like to think that I'm open minded and accept all of this as real. But then sometimes you're just left with your jaw dropped going, wow, <laughs> if, this stuff really does happen on a regular (laughs) basis, you know?
2: This stuff really does happen. That's right. It's the real world.
3: And something that, something that strikes me, you know, it's so easy when you hear of someone else's coincidence, they go through all the details and they're telling you it's very (laughs) easy as the listener. If you're not real open-minded and accepting, it's very easy as the listener to dismiss it as, you know, maybe they thought of it a certain way, or they must have known, or you know, it couldn't be. And so easy, but when it's your own, when it happens to you, everything changes.
2: Yeah. that's so. That's so true. That's so true. Evan, you've you've come you've commented about the eternal now, um, and there's a lot of. There's a book, The Power of Now, that's been very popular for a long time. There's, there's a get in the present, be present. Uh, I once had an experience of seeing the endless now going off in all directions, just in the moment that it, I was in infinity and in eternity for a little while. You were there for a longer time. That this this now is all there is, and people say that in various ways. Um, and then there's that problem of that we don't register the now uh, for, a millise- for a millisecond, because it's got to go through our brain to be able to hit our consciousness or something like The sensations have to do that. But please talk about, both of you, please talk about the endless now, the eternal now. Well,
4: I would say um, certainly in, in uh, looking back on, on my comb experience, uh, you know, I mentioned how time flow in, in this realm uh, was a very quickly apparent to me is a loop or a point or something very much confined and not the linear kind of a river flow that we normally think of as past, present, and future. Uh, and as a scientist, I, I realize that time is one of the deepest mysteries in all of physics. For those people who out there who think, oh, well, physics has obviously figured out something as primordial as time, they have not at all. Uh, and even more interesting is when you look on a kind of a subatomic at a, at a quantum and atomic level, you find that everything should work forwards and backwards in time equally well. The only thing that even gives an arrow to time um, is, is a macro principle, and that is uh, what's known as the second law of thermodynamics, which is a statistical law applied to you know large, large numbers of particles. Uh, and that's the only way you can even give an arrow to time. All the normal equations of physics, especially at a, an atomic and subatomic level, work equally well backwards and forwards. So time is a very, very strange uh, entity. Now, uh, another concept here that takes it to an even deeper level is that of um Uh, John Archibald Wheeler, the uh, renowned Princeton physicist, who gave us notions like wormhole and black hole. And towards the end of his life, he realized quantum physics was so bizarre that it suggested either that life was kind of in consciousness were accidental byproducts or a very deep part of emergent reality. And he, he knew that quantum physics actually showed the latter to be the case. And his point was that nothing exists uh, even in the distant past, until it's registered in the present moment in the mind of an observer. Uh, and I can't go into detail on that because it gets very complicated. But it basically points to the fact that we all live in an eternal now. And the assumptions we make about past and future are very much assumptions and, and not really deeply proven as much as the eternal now.
3: And, uh, you know, Evan likes to talk about the science of it all, but... I like to point out the personal experience of it all and this idea of an eternal now that we're all living it, we don't usually notice that we're in the now because so often we're worried about things that are going to happen in the future or anxiety about something that happened in the past. Very few of us are actively focused on the now, except for when you get potentially a an amazing creative inspiration or you're very focused on a creative act, something that for Eben, it was being in surgery for so long. Just being in that flow state is certainly a state of being in that eternal presence. Of course, you can touch it in meditation and such, but during our daily lives, it's so wonderful to come across an activity that can keep us feeling that present moment that Evan describes so beautifully.
2: And how does how does your heart awareness fit in with being in the now?
3: Oh well, the heart is uh, <laughs> the heart is a beautiful thing. That's that's one of the things that, of course, when you have a lot of stored emotional traumas, that you can feel like it's causing you trouble—just bad emotions and worries and such. But when you can get past all that and find that still point inside, that spark of being that all of us have from within, that really is made of love at its core. It's inside each and every one of us. And yes, when we can focus in that heart space, that wonderful still moment, we're absolutely connecting to that now moment that really connects us to the source of all that is.
2: And that now moment, and we're coming to the end of this segment, That and that now moment, being in that now moment, uh, I think has something to do with creating coincidences or creating synchronicities. Because when you're there, you're more able to tap into the interconnectedness of everything and our place in the now and the places of others who happen to be getting to the now. You are listening to Connecting with Coincidence with your host, Bernie Beitman, MD, on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, and our guests are Eben Alexander and Karen Newell.
1: Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network. www.xzbn.net.
3: AVS Media.
5: I am Doctor Carl O'Helvie, founder president by donating at www.HolisticCancerFoundation.com.
1: Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the x Radio Show with Rob McConnell, the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka? Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's author of a fascinating book, Amen.
2: Uh, welcome back to CC with BB, Connecting with Coincidence with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. That is me and our guests today are Karen Newell and Eben Alexander, author of authors of the new book Living in a Mindful Universe. And we're talking about being in the present in the here and now and I had such an experience, very dramatic, one time where I sat in my office uh, and had the experience of endlessness of the present it was going on and all, going on and on in all directions with my mind in the middle of it and there it went on forever and forever and being in that present being in that here and now is a place from which coincidences emerge, being in the flow emerges, and what Evan and Karen are being able, trying to be able to tell us that all there is is this endless now. Well, I think that's uh, uh, something that became very clear
4: to me from my coma journey. I, I saw time, that is our Earth time, uh, as a loop or a point. I mean, all of it collapsed down, and I realized that it's a fiction. Uh, In many ways, I could see how uh, the deeper underlying reality did not have a flow of time attached to it. In fact, uh, I could see how uh, that notion of time flow, of a a present and a past and future, uh, in addition to notions of existence in a spatial location, are in many ways kind of imprinted on this side of the veil. They're part of our consciousness and not part of that underlying reality. So. Uh, my coma journey showed me that very clearly, and of course, uh, coming back and and in in the years, nine years since then, trying to make sense of it all, uh, I've come to realize that time is one of those things within science that is absolutely not, uh, you know, quote well understood. It's not really understood at all. Uh, in fact, when you look at the subatomic realm or at the atomic realm where all of chemistry occurs and uh, atoms and subatomic particles, all of that. What you realize is there's nothing uh, in the uh, mathematical equations and everything that govern that, that domain that allow us to tell which way time should flow. It should go forwards or backwards uh, uh, equally easily. And in fact, what we come to realize is that our, our bigger notions of time flow in this macro world of human experience is all determined uh, by something called the the second law of thermodynamics, which is a statistical principle applied to gigantic numbers of subatomic particles. But in their world, in the world of those particles, atoms, molecules, you don't have the same sense of time flow at all. And I think, to me, this is a very important part of of trying to understand
2: all this is that time flow is is not what we think it is. And many philosophers as well as people who don't write uh, talk about the difference between objective time and Uh, subjective time, and there are different names given to each one of those, but there is human experience of that difference between what we think of as clock time and something else. And that subjective one is not as mysterious, uh, but still is, because time seems to change uh, in our experience, and so our flow of time in subjective time uh, is something different, where things happen, time just passes without noticing something. When you're deeply in the flow, when you're deeply in the now, you begin to lose some of that time sense.
4: Well, that's all very true. I would say we we need to have great caution in how we look at that, quote, objective time. Yes. Uh, And in that sense, what I would bring up are the experiments of Daryl Bim, uh, the psychologist in New York who uh, did some extraordinary work uh, just a few years ago uh, with a computer model where the computer would show an image that would either be very violent and and horrifying or very soothing and loving or neutral. Uh, And what he discovered is that to a very high degree of statistical precision, uh, he found that uh, the the subjects could actually discern what was going to be the nature of the picture that would show up on the screen before the computer had actually made the random selection. Now I cannot stress enough how shocking that statement should be to your audience. That uh, those findings of Daryl Bims uh, have been replicated in numerous laboratories around the world. It's a very real effect. And what it shows us is that our human notion of time uh, is not as all as rock steady as we like to think. And that we have ways of either knowing or creating the future uh, beyond any kind of statistical uh, probabilities. Uh, that should call us to greatly kind of question how this uh, higher mind works and the and the unfolding nature of reality that's very much different from our conventional uh, materialist view of past, present, future, and
2: organized objective time flow. Very good, very good, very good. Um, I, I had a statistician, David Hand, on the program, and he loves to argue about probability and statistics, and I'm trying to figure out how he thinks and he's got a view that the uh, that reality is statistics because tra- changing the the hardened views of people in material science is difficult like trying to get people to change their language. They don't want to They do not want to do it because uh, inertia of the mind or at least the brain is making them continue to want to have it. And that's what we're doing with this program. That's what we're doing in many other different ways. Your books, uh, I'm trying to do that. Others are trying to do that. Change the minds, but I think this is going to be one funeral after another. We're going to have to get the younger minds to be able to pay attention as the older minds disappear. But Karen, we were talking here about Daryl Bem and the experiment that people could somehow know the future and I you have a good fish story that I think goes along with that
3: yes well we had just finished constructing a a koi pond here in our at our home and Evan had spent a couple months building it and then we had gone out and just populated it with 18 fish and within mm, about a month of of those 18 fish being happy-go-lucky in the pond they started to show up missing and we had lost two fish we didn't know what happened to them. It was very sad. They were they were very colorful and very unique looking, each and every one of them. So we had come up with names for them so that we could tell them apart. So I knew the name of every single fish. We were very sad to lo- lose uh, Trixie and Shuby,
5: <laughs>
3: we had lost. And so I was very emotional about it. I'm like, we gotta protect our fish. We can't just have them be plucked off one after the other. And so one morning I woke up with a dream that yet another fish had gone missing. This one was named Buster. This dream was very vivid. I saw Buster laying on the ground clear as a bell, and I thought, oh no, he's dead. And so very conscious of these concepts of creating or predicting the future, I put it out of my mind. I didn't want to be any part of a self-fulfilling prophecy of losing yet another fish. And so I just put it out of my mind very quickly that morning Well, later that day around two o'clock, Evan was out working on the pond. I went out there and when I walked out onto the deck, I had this sudden immediate remembrance of the dream. And I said, oh my gosh, I had a dream that Buster was dead. We have to look for him. And so we started looking for Buster and we couldn't find him. In fact, we never saw him again from that moment forward. And it seems that I don't know if I had a precognitive dream, if I connected with Buster as he was passing or what happened there. I like to think I didn't play a role in creating that future, but uh, there you have it. The fish was gone, the exact fish. We later learned through doing some video surveillance that it was a blue heron that was taking our fish. Buster was the last one that we lost. You'll all be happy to know we now protect them with a net very successfully. But yes, it was very like you mentioned earlier the emotional state and i was very emotional about losing more fish and so very interesting that that seemed to open up a channel of connection
2: yes and uh, i referred to emotion as part of what has happened maybe between us uh that the emotion of this of this program and trying to make it happen and trying to make these connections happen and emotion plays a role in what you were having to have a conflict about. Did you create this this problem for Buster getting taken away? Uh, or did you anticipate it? And both those words uh, are problematic because um, they have to do with uh, hidden assumptions about what time is. Uh, because we have the problem of mothers of having the awareness in a dream or some other way that their child on the way to school walking to school gets hit by a car but the mother doesn't believe the intuition and the child is hit uh, and and dies what what one does with these imaginings of the future and then they happen and it's a tragedy uh how what do you how do you respond to that karen
3: well, I can't imagine that mothers are going around. I mean, I'm a mother myself. I'm a new grandmother, actually. I can't imagine that our fears and anxieties about our children actually cause their accidents. This is just something that I can't wrap my head around. But I certainly, uh, you know, knowing of these concepts, it does some kind of make your sometimes make your head spin when you try to explain it all. But I like to think that I was just tapping into uh, Buster's passing. And that it was a clue that he wanted to give me to look for him so that we didn't lose more fish. And, uh, you know, because we might not have noticed he was gone for a few days. And that was really helpful. He potentially helped us save who knows how many fish.
2: Yeah, sacrifice himself by uh, marking his connection to you, and I, the way you're talking is consonant with the, fits with the way I think about these t- temporary tunnels between us and other living creatures. And the tunnels may be there, as Edmund has has said, but they becoming aware of them is what coincidences help us do. They help say, "Look, there's something dramatic happening here. How do we understand it?" tunneling between consciousness, between hearts and minds, have something to do with it. You are listening to Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Bernie Beitman, MD, on the X-Zone Broadcast Network. Our guests are Evan Alexander and Karen Newell.
5: When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From out of the woodwork, we'll take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001 check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www.williamspeckham.com.
2: Welcome back to CC with BB. Our, Our guests are Karen Newell and Eben Alexander, authors of Living in a Mindful Universe. And we've gone from... Airplanes to fish and talking about coincidences, all of which have indicated what uh, I think uh, Karen and Eben are trying to say in various ways is that we're all connected and these stories, these coincidences, these synchronicities show us. In direct experience, which is what we need, it's one thing to say, well, that's interesting. But in direct experience, showing us that we can not only be connected with each other human beings, but connected with uh, with fish that we care about. And I particularly have some good relationships with trees, uh, particularly over in Mint Springs and a Philippine tree in in, in, the, in, the bio, in the botanical gardens in Washington, DC, and I had a great connection. And we can, if we're aware of it and allow it to happen, experience our connection with all sentient beings and even ones that we don't call sentient. So how do coincidences, synchronicity show us to you, Karen, and to you, Evan, that we are all connected?
3: Well, I think this would be a good time to share another coincidence that happened because Evan and I spent uh, many, many weeks and months writing our book together, living in a mindful universe. And sometimes when we were writing it, we, you know, a lot of, I would say, close relationed people end up, you know, finishing each other's sentences, knowing what they're going to say before... Yeah. Person says it, and this happened a lot while we were writing the book, and uh, it was it was interesting and it made sense. But one particular thing happened that kind of blew my mind, and I it was sort of the later stage of writing, and we were really just going through and fine tuning all of the different areas. And at this point, I had the book pretty much memorized in my head, and I knew where the problem areas were. And there was this one particular sentence that was just bothering me. It was just a little awkward, and it kept running through my mind. And it had been for for a couple weeks, I would say. And I just didn't know how to rewrite that sentence. I would move on to something else. But I was sitting out on the porch, kind of watching our dogs run around, and that sentence popped into my head, and I had this realization, oh, I just have to flip it like this and it will be so much better. You know, us authors, we obsess over these things. And uh, I thought, I just have to switch that one thing and, and reword it like this. And so I came into the house to uh, pull it up on my computer to make that change. And I looked, and Evan, of course, we had we were both working on the same manuscript, so we had to communicate of who was in which chapters. And I saw he was looking through the book at that moment. And I looked at the screen to see where he was. And he was on the exact paragraph that I had been thinking of out on the deck. This to me was just... Amazing, and Evan just kind of matter-of-factly goes, well, of course you were. Tell me what change you'd like to make. And he <laughs> typed, it, typed it into the computer. And, uh, you know, when one of us gets blown away, the other one just says, well, yes, of course that's how it should be. And so we have a nice interplay.
2: <laughs> does Evan get Evan get blown away by anything? What does what's what's he get blown away by? Oh, I, I would say that to me... Uh... I was
4: blown away as much as as Karen makes it sound like I just took it in stride. Um, <laughs> you know, but the bottom line is it, it really was kind of shocking because there were hundreds of kind of loose ends in that book at that time, and we were all just kind of working our our way through trying to cover them all. And the very fact that that one that had bothered Karen for several weeks, uh, just happened to be the one that I was in the process of fixing in that moment, it didn't surprise me that she came running in off the porch to say, oh, we've got to do this. And I'm, I'm like, I'm doing it right now. So, boom. Uh, but it was kind of a shocking, uh, uh, you know, synchronicity. It really just showed to me the one mind and the kind of uh, how we're really doing this uh, together. And it's best looked at as, as kind of the one mind dreaming its dream and progressing.
3: Yeah, I like to think of that one as because our minds were so close and, you know, when we present together, we try to do it in a real kind of fluid fashion, even though we come from two completely different directions, somehow we make it work and tie it all together. And so our mind really has to be in sync. And so I like to think that somehow I was tapped in and saw through his eyes, potentially, not literally, but felt through his eyes what he was looking at. And the solution just came to me. And uh, I like to think that's how we work together. Our minds are actually connected.
2: Yeah. And and I I think the connection is variable, variably intense, because sometimes you're off in your own minds. And you have to be, in order to be in a relationship, you got to be on your own too. And then you can connect and and couples recognize that in more behavioral terms, but this is much more in mental terms. And even though it might not be a metaphor that fits well with With you, uh, but I think it might. Is this the tunnel gets like opened up? It's like it's there, uh, it's always there. But then through emotion, somehow opens it up and makes stuff flow between the two minds. I've got a story in my book of two people uncertain about whether to be uh, get married or not, uh, or get engaged or not, and um, they're two thousand miles apart, and they're reading, and one of them is reading Khalil Gibran, and. calls the other one uh and says uh, hi and they both end up that they're reading the same page in the same book
4: right (laughs) karen and i've had similar experiences so uh yeah i i completely buy into that and it's so important for people not to dismiss it and say oh i guess crazy things can happen just a coincidence because these are very important messages to us about what we're here to learn and teach and know and understand so I think it's very crucial to keep an open mind about this and faithfulness to the universe. Oh yeah, yeah. it's all about a deeper understanding. And I also find it's important to trust. Uh, I find I can trust the universe will give me the kind of information I need, Uh, and that's I take full advantage of that in meditation. I try to meditate an hour to a day. That's something else that Karen and I have done together, together as a couple. That I think that also serves to greatly. Uh, broaden uh, and strengthen that bridge of connection, those tunnels that you're
2: talking about. Agreed. Agreed.
3: Another thing I want to share is, you know, when Evan and I first met, we, this was about three years after his coma in November of 2011, we both pretty much lived our lives with other people in relationships. And uh, of course, when we met, we had a strong connection, like sometimes people do, and moved on to form our own relationship. But when we started comparing notes about our past, we started noticing that uh, certain things had happened in each of our lives around the same time, but from the opposite perspective. So for example, when Evan was struggling with alcohol in his life and realizing that it was something he probably needed to eliminate from his life, I was married to an alcoholic and uh, who was struggling with the same thing. And so we found so many strange little parallels. And what we find in our current relationship is that we don't really have a lot of stuff between us. It just seems to be a relationship of mission and connection. And so I feel as though we've kind of worked out all of our issues with other people from those opposite perspectives. It's just amazing the more little parallels we find. Another thing we found is that our parents have... uh, birthdays very close to each other. So my mother's birthday is just one day off from his birth mother's birthday, not his adopted mother, but his biological mother. And his father, again, is just one day off from my father's birthday. Very uh, strange. We haven't figured out the answers to all of this, but we're very uh, interested in continuing to explore.
2: I think that's uh, so intriguing and interesting that uh, your set your your statement that you worked out your problems in other relationships and now you're clean and uh, ready to go uh, for mission and commitment with the t- with the two together that that right. is beautiful I, I'd like t- I that's a that's a model that uh, I'd like to have other people get to earlier th- in their lives if that's possible so yeah, they can have- <laughs> <laughs> and
3: that
2: that's really what I have in what I have in mind is to help people clear clear it up earlier uh, rather than have to wait until uh, later in life so that relationships as you described are become more Potentially available, but we're getting—we have a couple of minutes left, and there's one question that uh, I want to get to um, from both of you. Is not not there's so much positive that we can talk about, but why do we have hardships? Why is there so much suffering in our world? Why would God create a world of conflict and discord? Well, I was just going to make
4: that point uh, on the tail of what you were saying a minute uh, ago—that the hardships are blessings. Karen and I only came to realize, you know, you might look at uh, uh, her marriage to an alcoholic husband and the fact that I was uh, uh, struggling and finally let go of alcohol back in 1991. Um, You can look at those as hardships and difficulties, challenges. I look back on them as beautiful stepping stones, as engines of growth. Uh, and this is something that I would say was a big lesson of my NDE was realizing that all the things that we look at as as challenges in our lives, certainly illness and injury, uh, in many ways we should look at as our friends because it's how we deal with those hardships that energizes and defines a pathway of ascendance towards being a stronger, uh, more connected soul, more knowing of our purpose for existence, and all of that. So very important to look at those uh, hardships as gifts.
3: Yes, definitely. If I hadn't been married to that alcoholic and understood that issue from the outside perspective, I wouldn't have had the same understanding as I have with Eben. And so these gifts, always these hardships are, are opportunities to have some kind of spiritual growth. And of course, as you were saying, it'd be nice if we could figure it out a little quicker. Sometimes we tend to wallow in those hardships and uh, taking a bigger picture of, of why that might be happening can be so useful.
2: Oh, yeah. And as a psychotherapist, uh, one of the things I need to do, try to do and have to do and really love to do is to take the difficulty and turn it into something positive. Right. You've been listening to Connecting with Coincidence with your host, Bernie Beitman, an MD on the x Broadcast Network and our guests have been Karen and Evan. Thank you so very much for being on the show with me.